Good morning. It's a blessing to be able to come together in the house of the Lord to worship together, especially from the cold and dampness outside. It's a blessing to be able to sit here in comfort and uh, to open the Bible and to meditate on it. And I'd like to encourage you for this morning's meditation to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 39, and we'll begin our reading at verse 20. Genesis chapter 39, verse 20. Those of you that have been following along, we've been going through the life of Joseph. We just covered the time when he was in Potiphar's house, and Potiphar's wife was relentlessly pursuing him and propositioning him to commit adultery. And he steadfastly refused that until the point of his where her lust turned into hatred. And that is certainly the fruit of lust eventually. Um, turns into hatred and he's, he's falsely accused. And Potiphar commits him to prison. And we uh, uh, pick that up here in verse 20. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him, and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. And it came to pass after these things that the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended their lord, the king of Egypt, and Pharaoh was wroth against two of his officers, against the chief of the butlers and against the chief of the bakers. And he put them in, in the ward of, in the house of the captain of the guard into the prison, the place where Joseph was bound. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them, and they continued a season in the ward. And they dreamed a dream, both of them, each man in his dream in one night, each man according to the interpretation of his dream, the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, which were bound in the prison. And Joseph came in unto them in the morning and looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the ward of his Lord's house, saying, Wherefore look ye so sadly today? And they said unto him, We have dreamed a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. And Joseph said unto them, Do not interpretations belong unto God? Tell me them, I pray you. I'd like to pause here at verse 8. Certainly the rest of the chapter goes into the dreams and the interpretations thereof, and we'll cover that later in the message, if time permits. Joseph endured hardship because of for righteousness' sake. He made a decision, as we read earlier in verse 39, is how can I do this wickedness against God? He was looking for a way to honor God in his decision, and that decision cost him personally dearly. He lost his position of uh, the, the most powerful man in Potiphar's house and was committed to prison, a special prison where the king's prisoners were kept. And I have little doubt 
that the enemy tempted him sorely for that decision. We don't, doesn't go much into detail here. <clears throat> we do get a little bit of insight later in chapter 40 of how he, he, he recognizes that he was falsely accused and that he's unjustly treated. And as most people who are find themselves in a time of being unjustly treated or tempted sorely and paying the consequences of doing right would be sorely tempted by, where is your God? Why is he not saving you? You thought <clears throat> you were taking, you're going to glorify him by taking a stand for righteousness and this is how you're rewarded for it? It doesn't pay to do right. These are all common temptations that the enemy would come and assault those that are in a difficult place for doing the right thing. But Joseph, as all true believers, did not follow righteousness simply because it pays or profits. No, he did the right thing because it was the right thing, despite the consequence. And Joseph is not the only one that has done this. The scripture is full of examples of men and women women who are true believers who did the right choice and had to pay a significant cost associated with that choice. Because it's an act of worship and obedience. We read in James, the fifth chapter, and we say, Scripture says that we count those, we honor those that endure through hard trials. And the Apostle James goes through the example of Job and how he endured unto the end and how God was merciful to him and provided what was necessary for him to come through at the end. And this is one of the things we see here in the, in the, in the story of Joseph. How often we read the words, and the Lord was with him. The Lord blessed it. The Lord made it to prosper. This is a common theme that we will see through his life as a reward of his righteousness. That didn't make it easy. He was stuck in this prison for many years before anyone really took notice that really mattered. And this was true. As we sang in our hymnal for Abraham, this was true for Joseph, this was true for Daniel, this was true for Jesus. And the list is very long if we were to go through them all of those that endured hardship for doing the right thing. But it also, it doesn't just apply to an individual. It also applies to a group of individuals. I couldn't help thinking of the example of, uh, of Corey Tenboom and her family in World War II who made a hard decision to withstand the Nazi uh, mindset that those who were disabled and those that were of Jewish origin, they, they put their life on the line and saved many in their own home. And eventually they paid the ultimate price when they, when an informer ratted on them, and they were arrested, put into prison, and many of them lost their lives. Corey was the only survivor in her family. A modern-day example of someone doing the right thing, though it cost a lot. 
But it can also be true as a church. When a church decides to do something to become more biblical, to do God's will, to take sometimes, take us out of our comfort zone, and at times there is difficulty that comes out of that, where some who resist want to stay in their comfort zone and want to stay with the, the, an approach that is not as aligned to God's word as it ought to be. And at times that makes it difficult and challenging. And yet, the scripture tells us that we are to do the right thing, not because it pays or profits, but because we are to be more concerned with God's righteousness than with our own preferences, with our own comfort. And that it's always safest to follow God's will. And that only makes sense when we view it from an eternal perspective. The jailer noticed something unique about Joseph. And it says in verse 21 that because the Lord was with Joseph, it showed he that and um, gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. It says that whatever was going on in the prison, Joseph was the doer of it. We can see he was a man of action. He didn't just wallow in self-pity and say, oh, woe is me, how unfair this is. He would have been right to say that. And many get stuck in the chains of of, of self-pity and are unable to carry out the things that are right in front of them. To use the situation that they're in, as difficult as it is, to be able to use it to glorify God. And Joseph was one of those rare individuals, as you look across all of humanity, that didn't allow the things that he wasn't able to do, didn't prevent him from doing the things that he could do. And so, he was the doer of it. And the keeper recognized that, and eventually, in short order, he began to be in charge. And we could see he was responsible for that. He was with it. In other words, he he recognized what needed to be done and how to do it and apply it himself. And we saw that he's also personable. As he was in the prison and there's the, the butler and the baker that were committed for doing something, probably related to some meal that was served that didn't go very well with Pharaoh. And so they were committed to prison until the time of trial. And during that time, Joseph had a personal relationship with him because he recognized immediately as he came to serve them in the morning, the scripture says, something was wrong. They didn't speak it. They didn't say that. But he was observant. And he cared. And he asked because he cared. And the rest of the chapter in Genesis 40 goes through the nature of the dream and the description. And the focus for this morning's message, because we're limited on time, I won't be able to go through that. I encourage you to read that on your own time and see how the interpretation comes and becomes true, where the butler is restored and the baker is executed. But this common thread of Joseph's endurance is something that I'd like to focus on the theme in this morning's message. We don't have a lot of detail in the scripture that we read together about how does one obtain such endurance. We do have the 
the blessing and the benefit of having the rest of the scripture, which tells us how that comes about. We read in, in 2 Timothy, the second chapter, the Apostle Paul's writing to Timothy about this endurance. He, he, he writes, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangled himself with the affairs of this life, that it may please him who hath chosen him to be the soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, that is to be an athlete, yet is he not crowned, he doesn't receive the prize except he strive lawfully. The husbandman or farmer that labors must be first partakers of the fruit. So we see three examples of occupations that require significant endurance. We would maybe use the term grit or courage or resolve. The first occupation was that of a soldier. And you think of the soldier back then of what would be required in order for them to uh, uh, serve in that way. They'd have to leave their home, leave the comfort and safety of that, go out into the field, be exposed to the elements of the cold and the rain, sleeping on the hard ground, being in the face of danger. So much so that throughout many periods of history, they had a real problem with deserters. Those that would say, "Ah, this is not for me, I'm out. And they would desert their platoon. And of course the government, at at those times in history, would have a severe consequence for those that were deserters. They would be executed. They would lose their life. And so they they were sort of, as a soldier, they were fearful. They're, They're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. They don't want to be there, but yet they have to be there. And they're enduring hardness. But the hardness that the Apostle Paul is writing about is not out of coercion. is not because um, it's a willing, a willing endurance. One who decides that they're going to push through the hardness. And a soldier has to fight many battles. Not all of them will go well. Not all of them he'll be a winner in. There will be many losses before the war is ultimately won. The second occupation that he walks us through is that of an athlete. One who trains, trains his body. Not only has to have the right diet, but has to push his body to do things that didn't think was even possible. And recently we had a, in our homeschool association here in the southern Ontario, there's a cross-country meet and they have coaches that help and our family participate in that. And one of the lessons that really stuck out to, stood out to me is the, the lesson the coach often repeated saying, the mind will give up before the body is ready. In other words, as you're running in that endurance and that cross country run, your body will certainly begin feeling aching and getting tired and your mind is, yeah, I can't do it. I gotta give up. I gotta stop. I gotta slow down. And his advice was right. You have to keep going because your body has more reserve than what your mind believes is possible. And that's a true mantra for life as well. Is that at times, as we go through difficulties or challenges, we will be tempted to give in, to give up, to take the easy route out. Because it's just too much, can't handle it. 
But God gives us the ability to endure. It's not just a thing that we sort of just have to bear down and try harder. Because while there is a certain amount of endurance that comes out of that, just to put your mind to it, the scripture actually gives us, just in the previous chapter, in First Timothy, the, the first chapter says, God gives us a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. That is the foundation that where we receive our power. It's through submission to God himself. And he gives us his spirit that endues us with power to be able to endure far more than we would ever be able to endure without his spirit. So the third example that we read in the, 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 the second Timothy is that of a farmer. One that has to endure the heat of the day. And of course, today in modern times, you could sit in an air-conditioned cab of a tractor and, and, and enjoy the comfort. So it, it, the, the example kind of loses its, its validity to some degree here in, in North, in, in our culture today. But if you think of what a farmer did many years ago, and some of you, Grown up with your grandparents, maybe, have experienced that. To be out in the field, in the cold, early in the morning before sun comes up, hoeing in the heat of the day, preparing the field, hoeing by hand and getting your your um, calluses and, 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 and experiencing the hardship of what it takes to plant and to nurture in order to get to the point of the harvest. Now imagine... If the soldier at the last battle where that would win the war just suddenly just throws in the towel. Or if the athlete just at the beginning of the race, after all that preparation, decides, I can't do it. I, I, it's too much. Or the farmer who has planted and, and worked all the, all the way in the spring and the summer, finally says, forget it. I'm not going to wait to the harvest. Just one step away from experiencing the fullness of the, the accomplishment or the victory in each of those occupations. But true also as a believer, which is why Jesus himself multiple times in the gospel had said, he that endures unto the end will be saved. It's not just those who have a good start or those that have a good run in the middle. It's those who endure unto the end, who don't give up, who endure those are the ones that ultimately, Jesus says, experience salvation. Does that mean that we don't experience salvation when we give our lives or learn? Of course not. The scripture is clear about that. Is that by grace are you saved through faith and not of works lest any man should boast. And so we have to be clear that it's not because of our endurance that saves us. No, it's God's grace that saves us. But he endues us with the spirit of power to be able to go through experiences in life and to overcome those things we would have never thought we could have overcome. It's by his spirit and by his power. We... uh, at my work, every, once a month, we have a study that we go through as the managers. 
to understand how to be more effective leaders. And the recent topic was that of um, an educator who studied, spent her life studying the difference between kids growing up into adults. What is the difference between those that succeed and those that don't? Her initial hypothesis was that those who are the smartest, those who had the highest IQ, those who were the most socially connected, those who um, were the most popular, had the best charisma or socially intelligent, all of these things that society values, she thought that's the reason. And yet, as she was studying these hundreds of examples, she came to a surprising conclusion. It wasn't any of the people that were in those categories that were most likely to succeed, but rather those that had the most grit. Grit, in other words, those who were willing to persevere and endure despite whatever failures they had come up with, or they experienced rather. And so they wouldn't take no for an answer. They wouldn't take a failing grade to say, I'm no good at this. Instead, they tried harder and they worked at it. And so her advice, which I found fascinating based on this example, is that the most important thing to teach in school or as parents is to be able to encourage endurance to help them develop that grit that's necessary to endure the difficulties that they will experience in life. Now, in some ways, I shouldn't have been surprised by that conclusion because it's actually biblical. This is why it talks about faithful endurance in what we see here in the life of Joseph and all the other characters that are in the hallmark of faith. In fact, we, we see uh, in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, after it goes through the whole list of the heroes of faith, we see, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with such a great cloud of witnesses. In other words, look at those that have come behind us like they're in the stands and they're cheering us on by their example so that we can look to them to get the necessary strength and encouragement And then the writer of Hebrews goes on to say, not only to look at those witnesses that have gone before us, but look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured. What did he endure? He endured the shame of the cross, the death, the separation from God because of his sin. That was his mission because of his love towards us. And as a result of that endurance, he is now set at the right hand of the throne of God and is the captain of our salvation. This is, the scripture says, what we are to look for in our example to follow. And the world has recognized this. As they study others, they say, hey, faithful endurance makes a difference. And it sure does. And we don't believe that because of the experiences. We believe it because the Word of God says. And it's great to see at times where we see the Word of God um, 
the, the, the principles that are there borne out in real life. That's wonderful. And gives us additional um, faith. Helps us to believe that the rest of the things that we don't necessarily always understand in that way, that they are solid and can be believed. I think the, the story, true story of Dr. Ben Carson is another great example of someone who was the dumbest kid in fifth grade who wanted to give up coming from a single-parent family. His mom was on the edge of having a mental breakdown. But she would not want to let her kids think that they're the dumbest people. And she wanted them to work and, 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 and didn't allow them to watch any television. Said, no, you need to read. You need to read a certain amount of books. You need to believe that God has empowered you to do much better than what you're doing. And as he experienced a conversion experience, as he struggled with his anger that was going to derail his entire life, and eventually was able to become the world's most renowned neurosurgeon, and entirely attributes it to God's result in his life. But if you read his book, The Gifted Hands, or watch the video, and I encourage you as a family, if you've never done that, to do that. Or parents, if you have teenage children, to make it mandatory reading that your kids read Gifted Hands as a book to recognize that life is not about video games or, or, or viral videos or all the other distractions that are there. That's not what's going to make make the cut. No, God has a much higher standard for us to reach towards because his purposes are far higher than just our, 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 to satisfy our leisure for the moment. No, he has a world out there that he's created you and I uniquely in a way to be able to accomplish. And he has given us the spirit of power to be able to do that. Regardless of the obstacles and the, and the, and the, and, and, and the things, the temptations that the enemy will put in our path. And that's not, of course, the only example. That's just a recent example that I went through. The other one I mentioned earlier with Corey Tenboom with the, the, the hiding place. Lots of different ways that, uh, the story is told that our children can start to understand the importance not just from the scripture itself, which is, of course, extraordinarily important that we have uh, Bible studies in our home, uh, family devotions, that they understand how to, to uh, God's design for life. And that it's not all just going to be roses and, and um, things are going to go well. To prepare them for a life of adversity, a life of difficulty that they would endure past those things. And to see the big picture. But we also have the stories of faith and courage, the CDs and, and that we can listen to. Those in our, those of you that have grandparents understand what difficulties did they go through to be able to endure, to stay faithful to God, and how God led them through great difficulty. Those are all avenues, all things that God has given to us to be able to expand our horizons to see that the thing that we're currently enduring at the moment, perhaps, or maybe is just we're on the cusp of, or maybe we're in the middle of, that it's not just about us, that there is 
a bigger plan that God has in mind and that he's going to carry us through. Now, one of the things that the that presentation, it's a TED Talk that, that we went through, left as an open question was, well then, how do we teach our kids the necessary grit, the necessary endurance? And she left that as an open question because she didn't have answers to that. And I thought, oh no, she just led us up to the point where that's such an important thing and yet no solution for how to teach, how do ourselves do that or how to teach our children to do that. It's like, but the Bible has a solution for that. And we went through some of the examples of that. And, and one of them, as, as I've experienced, probably many of you experienced too, is how do we properly teach our children to not give up so easily when the going gets tough? I think we follow the model that God does for his children. That is, God there's a term that's used as helicopter parent. Helicopter parent is one that hovers over the life of their children and parachutes in whenever there's a sign of trouble and rescues them from the trouble. And a helicopter parent, though the, um, the intention is right, what happens is a child is never able to really grow in their ability to handle difficulty. And yes, of course, we love our children. We want them to succeed. But if we're helicopter parents, that's probably a sure sign that we're actually hurting more than we're helping. How do we know that? Because we look at how God deals with his children. See, when they ran into trouble... God didn't just parachute in and solve all their troubles and make the, the way pat, the way straight for them in the sense that there was no difficulties along the road. No. God often does not take us out of our trials. He takes us through those trials. And it's through that patient endurance. And, and Brother Werner has taken us through this, the, the scripture in the book of James, where the first chapter, it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various temptation, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience or endurance. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, lacking nothing. That is the answer. That is how we build up not only that grit or endurance that's necessary in our own lives, but also to... Teach our children and model to them so that they can experience the power that God gives. And we see how God used Joseph in a way through that difficult experience. The Lord was with him just as the Lord wants to be with you and with I, with myself, with everyone. Those who call on the name of the Lord. Does that mean that whatever difficulty you find yourself in, that it'll just vanish away? No, that's unlikely. Though many times we would love for that to happen. But what God does promise is that he will never let a temptation or a trial that is greater than we can bear ever come upon us. That is a promise. 
And that he will give us the sufficient things necessary to overcome it. But this promise is reserved to those who are his children. So my friend, if you have never experienced the grace of God to its fullness, to be able to let go of your own ideas, your own approach, to take yourself off the throne of your heart, to allow God to sit on the throne, to invite him in and allow him to transform your life, it's only then that you will experience this promise of endurance and be able to accomplish things that you would have never thought would be possible. We see in the verses in chapter 40, later on in the chapter, we read verse 14, where Joseph has interpreted the dreams and he says, But think on me, he's talking to the butler now, but think on me when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house or out of this prison. For indeed I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also have I done nothing that they should put me into the dungeon." Of course, the butler was super happy with the prognosis that he gave. And yet it says in verse 23, Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgot him. And multiple years went by. Imagine the trial of faith being forgotten like that. Unjustly treated. And yet, God was with him. Though he was forgotten of everyone else, God did not forget him and gave him the necessary strength to endure to be ready for the right time in order for him to use all of those experiences in the past, all of the betrayal, the murderous intentions, the the the, the betrayal by his brothers, the betrayal by his master, by the betrayal by his master's wife, those who forgot him instead thinking he's nothing. Yet God did not forget him. And though it took many years, it was 13 years in total, if you count the years before Joseph experienced deliverance. And 13 years in the grand scheme of things, when you're in the middle of it, it seems like an eternity. And that is when endurance is the most necessary, is right in the middle of the of the heat. But many had to endure more than 13 years, decades, some their entire life, and never experienced the full deliverance. But in light of eternity, they, God calls them faithful and does not forget them. I think of the song that we sing in the Red Books, Not to the Strong is the Battle, Not to the Swift is the race, but to the true and the faithful, victory is promised through grace. 